Welcome to Lay of the Brand, where we talk with the experts on tech marketing, creative, and PR to learn what's new, what's working, and what's next. I'm Peter Jacobs with Merit Group. In part two of our three-part series on federal account-based marketing, we're diving into a key element for success, messaging and content strategies that can set you apart from a sea of competitors. How does research inform content? And how can content strategies adapt to focus on the people and messages that can make all the difference to your win rate? To find out, we're joined by Courtney Hastings, Senior Marketing Manager, Public Sector of Data Integration and Analytics Provider, Click, and Aaron Heffron, Executive Vice President of Government Market Research Firm, Market Connections. Thank you both for being here. Courtney, ABM campaigns are a combination of content, collateral, and creative. How do you go about mapping an effective content strategy? Yeah, so I find it um, a lot easier with account-based marketing programs to develop that content strategy than uh, you know other campaigns we might be executing to a broader audience. Um, I think the reason is because with account-based marketing, you can be really specific about who your audience is. So you already know what agencies you're going after. So really, it's just about identifying who are your decision makers, who are your influencers, and who are your end users. Um, and from there, you really can just just start to dig into what are the various topics, tactics, uh, creative approaches that will speak specifically to those audiences. Um, I think it's important though not to lose sight of your overall marketing plan and the activities that are coming from that um, so that everything is aligned and you ensure that um, all of your marketing efforts, particularly with specific accounts, are more of a conversation than just, you know, one activity or a set of activities. Well, what sorts of things have you done to deliver value to your sales teams? Sure. So um, not to promote my podcast on your podcast, but um, we recently launched one at Click. It's uh, me and a couple of my um, team members on the federal team. And really, it's about, you know, taking what's going on in the world and talking about how data influences it or comes from it. And we realized early on that we were able to use that venue to address some very specific issues that were affecting one or a few of our customers. So, for example, we had um, a podcast recently where we brought on an expert um, in domestic violent extremism, which is something that we knew was a major concern for the Department of Homeland Security through our conversations with them. And really just through sharing that podcast with a couple of individuals at the DHS, uh, the sales team was able to find some inroads and get some meetings. Aaron, let's talk about the data that you use to inform content. And it's more than just data because that's raw information. It's the knowledge you can glean from data, correct? Yeah. The, uh, you know, and again, thanks, Peter, for, for pulling all this together. These are great conversations that I enjoy. The, the inferences from the data are often sometimes overlooked because you can get enveloped in the amount of data and information that's coming into you. Um, we get data, you know, you he, everything we interact with creates a data point um, out there. Uh, sometimes it's a conversation that your salespeople or your marketing person has, they bring that back to the table and that's thrown down out in front of everybody. Sometimes it's the information you're getting from the interactions on your website and downloads and 
and who you're getting, that information has come in and thrown on the table. Uh, sometimes it's the sales and contract information that comes out where uh, certain other companies are engaging in it in, involved in it and there's new budget information coming. That's sort of that. And then there's the, you know, all the environmental data that's going on out there that uh, X, Y, and Z trend is moving in certain directions and whatnot. That's thrown on the table. And it's really this stew of data that gets mixed around in the middle of everybody and you, you start to try to dole it out to everybody in bowls and it's, it's disparate. I mean, we've, we've all gotten the, the bowl of soup that has like the one piece of shrimp in it and the person next to you gets like 10 pieces of it. And you're like, well, that doesn't seem quite fair. Um, but it's all in how it was combined and mixed and uh, interpreted along the way. And that's what I, I spend a lot of time with our clients of trying to take all these disparate pieces of information and make it so that it's useful and relevant so that everybody gets their two or three pieces of shrimp. Um, and, you know, nobody's left hungry when they walk from the table. Well, time, as you, you just said, is a huge part of this because there's only so many hours in the day, so many days in the week, and so much information. How do people deal with absorbing all that and then turning it into actionable content? Yeah, I, I liken to think, thinking about narrowing it down to the particular individuals uh, that, you, that are important to you. And that's really the starting point is figuring out who is important to you as a marketer, as a salesperson, who's important in the conversation, and then understanding all we can about that person as an individual, and then also looking at where are the commonalities across the individuals. Uh, because you got to get the best bang for your buck there. Um, you know, we all don't have unlimited resources and unlimited time. So, I really start, I like to start by looking for commonalities uh, because that's where you're going to get your biggest return. So sit down and say, here's five different agencies. Here's five different types of people. Let's figure out what's the same about them first. And once we figure out what's the same about them, then, you know, to Courtney's point, you can start your planning um, and you can create the campaign based on those commonalities. Then the ABM side of things is layered on top of that where you can begin to start to cater and tailor particular messages, outreach strategies, et cetera, that lays on top of that common strategy that you've kind of spread all over, spread all over everybody. Let's follow up on that. Courtney, when you're approaching ABM content throughout your campaign, for the different personas that you're dealing with, how do you change your strategies? Are, are there different ways that you're going to talk to a mission leader versus a technical leader in terms of the content, the channels, the approach? Yes, absolutely. Um, as I alluded to previously, different personas respond to different messages, different creative and different tactics. I think that's important when you're building an ABM program that you are addressing each of those audiences and meeting them where they are. So an example recently is um, we were building a campaign around the launch of our new SaaS product um, for the federal government. And we realized there was 
going to be a completely new audience for us, someone that we didn't really, you know, work with regularly. So we work regularly with with CDOs, we work regularly with CIOs, we work with, you know, the line of business heads, but this new audience of CISOs was something that was new to us and that we had to figure out how to tackle. So we already knew that our end users would care about the content around sort of speed and scale around SaaS and that the decision makers were going to care more about money, about the freeing up of resources, about cost control. And we knew how to reach those people in the messaging that would resonate with them. But for the CISOs, which would be a key influencer, um, it was already about security. And, and that is not a message that we'd used before. So we really had to lean in on that and create the creative around that and figure out how to reach them. But I loved what Aaron said before, because as p- particularly for me, so my purview is public sector. So that includes the federal government, but it also includes state and local government, education and healthcare, And, you know, identifying the commonalities is a big deal because it's hard. Those, those are huge patches in and of themselves. So being able to find where uh, a message for the federal off- audience will also work for the state and local audience uh, or a healthcare audience is something I try really hard to do so I can make my resources go as far as possible. Sure. And the, you know, the interesting part of that is that sometimes the commonalities are less technical and more kind of personal to the individuals. You know, as we, we interviewed and surveyed hundreds and thousands of federal, state and local and other type of entities, one of the things that we find is that what really makes these people want to work in a public serving role is that they really want to feel like they're making a difference in what they're doing every day. You know, they're very mission focused. Every part of their day is measured against how much are they able to deliver and get their mission. Well, their mission could be to make sure the drones stay in the air or that shots go in the arms. I mean, that's, you know, and that's a broad range of type of missions, but it all kind of goes back to supporting of the the mission. They want to feel like they make a personal difference within their agency. So even down to that micro level of them as an individual is that they want to, you know, what gets them up every day and makes them happy to go to work is that they feel like their little bit is a contribution to the overall mission of the agency. So that starts to lay the groundwork for some of that messaging and conversation that you're having. The technical stuff of what this technology does, that's fine. And that can be plugged in at a lot of different pieces. But the connection to how that technology or that a product that you have helps them as an individual within their agency, not their agency as a whole. They all you know, want to do that. It's great. We can make DHS or FEMA more effective in the way they're delivering. No, want to make sure that I can communicate how it makes the job for this program manager who's sitting and has this specific task, makes their job a little bit easier and makes their contribution to the mission a little bit greater. That's the commonality. We have so many clients that come to us and say, tell me where this technology fits within all these different agencies and I'll go that way. Well, I was like, well, let's back up just a little bit. Let's figure out what is it that this does for the individual sitting in this agency more so than what it does for the agency writ large. 
And that's something that a lot of marketers often have to deal with. It's getting beyond the what the thing does and more about the why it's necessary, why it makes a difference and how it's going to make a positive change. And as you've both said here, there needs to be an emotional connection to it. Wouldn't you say, Courtney? Absolutely. I was just going to add to that. I mean, it's part and parcel of the same thing that Aaron was saying, but it's as a technology provider, I think we focus really hard on establishing relationships. And I think that's a big part of something we haven't talked about today in regards to account-based marketing. It's hard when you're talking about content and building relationships with content, but to Aaron's point, these people really do um, focus on the mission. And when we approach them, it's you know not about shoving our technology in their face, but it's about having the conversation of what are the problems that you are facing with your agency. Uh, you know, if you're using particular technologies, um, how are those working out for you? You know, what can we do, as Aaron said, to support you in your specific job? We we have those conversations every day. And it isn't just a one-size-fits-all kind of approach. Well, we need to have a white paper. We need to have a webinar. We need to have these three pieces of collateral, and we update the landing page, and boom, we're done, ABM. Yeah, and it's it's also, you know, the different types of collateral and the different ways to reach individuals varies greatly by the type of person and the role that they play, even the generation that they sit in. We have found that on average, the state and local individual is about 10 years younger than the federal government person uh, that sits in there. So that's an entire generation difference in how they get information, how they interpret information. We've found over time that the federal folks like to sit and read something and they'll spend 15, 20 minutes reading something. Um, So that's kind of the optimal length of time to spend with a white paper. The state and local person is more likely to spend 15, 20 minutes watching something. And that's part and parcel to some of the generational differences that you see. And I think there's an evolution that's going on. Uh, We hear this story from one of our clients that the most popular video they did wasn't some glossy, high production value type of things. They took an engineer and put him in front of a whiteboard with a erasable marker and had him sketch out on a whiteboard describing how something worked. And it was incredibly popular. And it got more views and more hits on it than any of the slickly produced videos they had done to that point. And it came back because it hit on two of the elements that we find that everybody wants out of their Uh, the media and the information they get. One is lots of information and detail that is incredibly useful and direct and clear. And two, has no real sales message sound to it. It doesn't sound like I'm being pitched. It just sounds like I'm being taught. And that's the difference, you know, that, you know, it makes them feel like, okay, I'm just having a conversation here. I'm not being sold to. It really seems to come down to not a matter of production value, but value. Is this worth me spending time reading, listening, watching? Yeah, and I don't want to discount the value that it actually looks good 
and sounds good. I mean, that that's all part of a credibility. I mean, you, you want to have that. That's kind of, but I think the floor is much lower than everybody assumes it is. You remember years ago when everybody was making the conversion over to high definition television and all these sorts of things, it thought it was the death of regular video and that everything's going to have to be this super high quality. And then now it's evolved where people are, are getting streamed videos and they're throwing that up on the local news now of a video that's pixelated or, or whatever because it's the information that they're able to get from that, it doesn't have to look shiny and glossy. You know, they're just getting what they need at that point. Yeah, I think it goes back to what Aaron had said previously. I mean, people really want to get value in the things that they invest in watching. And we've seen some similar successes where, you know, rather than us providing for an event, a one minute corporate produced video, having our sales member just addressing them, the audience specifically, you know, just a talking head or as follow up to, you know, a program that we've run, sending them a video of one of our uh, technical folks uh, doing a demo. They just recorded themselves on their computer. Those things have been highly valuable. Yeah. It's, it's a certain level of being authentic in there. And I, I know that's beaten to death um, over time. Everybody's got to be authentic. Everybody's got to be authentic in there. But they're, you know, it's beaten to death because it is true to some extent. They want to see themselves in the person that that's talking to them. And if it's the engineer sketching on the board, the person on the other side of that screen, if they go, wait a minute, that's, that's like me. And that's, this would be a person I would be sitting in the room with. And I would love to have the conversation with that person and not have to go through the 35-minute sales pitch from the BD person before I got to this guy. Mm -hmm. or this woman that's you know i want to hear that and and get and cut to the chase in all of this well i want to follow up on that erin you just made a really good point for right now today sitting in the room how has this made marketers adjust and adapt their outreach strategies when they realize i may not be in the room with somebody that that's a million dollar question right now. And if I had the answers to that, I think I would be, uh, you know, I, I think I'd be interviewing you, Peter, rather than uh, <laughs> the other way around. That's what everybody's kind of struggling with right now. And I think some people are, are finding it useful in that I can be places that I wouldn't otherwise be able to get to pretty easily. And that's been the upside. The upside is that I can hold a meeting, a conversation, and have folks in eight different locations all around the country, and everybody is pretty tolerant of the way the interaction has to go doing it virtually. None of us would have dreamed two years ago for the level of events and tolerance you have for um, the room that you're sitting in, the background that you have, the dog barking in the back, you know, all those sorts of things. Now everybody takes it with a grain of salt. Uh, and it doesn't have to be perfect because it's been boiled down to this is another means to communicate and get the information across. So I think that that has certainly helped helped everybody kind of move things along to some extent. Now, what does that hold to the future? I know there's a lot of BD and salespeople that are just chomping at the bit mm -hmm. to get back out there 
shake hands, slap backs, walk the you know walk the floor of a show, do all of those sorts of things. But there's a lot of sales ops people and VP of sales who are looking at their budgets and numbers and going, well, you made your numbers last year and we didn't have to spend all that money of you walking the floors and having dinners and doing all that sort of stuff. And stuff still seemed to happen. Just to do my own little promotion is we've got an event coming up here in a little less than a month where we're releasing the findings from our 2021 uh, media study for how the feds are consuming information, you know, what types of media they go to, radio, TV, events, digital, all those sorts of things. And we did it in 2020 and, you know, it was 2020. I mean, everything was just completely hinky. I mean, it was, you know, out there, Um, you know, no drive time radio, nobody was listening to that. And, you know, what was going on? 2021, I'm kind of seeing as reestablishing an equilibrium to some extent, we're not going to get back to where we were in 2019. Um, I don't think that's ever going to, we're never going to be back there. Too much has happened, too many shocks to the system, too many implementations of new technologies. The bar has been changed as to what's uh, you know appropriate and tolerated now. So we're not going back there. The big question for all of us will be, where does it settle? And it's going to settle somewhere between where we were in 2019 and where we were in 2020. And that's the big question. And I think that as everybody makes their plans, their marketing and BD plans going forward, that's going to be the big question is how do we allocate our resources in this little bit of a different world? I hate the word new normal. (laughs) Um, I think that's beaten to death, but I think there's going to be an equilibrium where we're allowed to try and do some things that are a little bit different. I think Mm -hmm. there's greater permission to take risks um, in things because the cost and barriers are lower um, than they were. So it's actually a great time for marketers and the creativity that you can bring to the table because you're not going to be bound to the quote tried and true where I have to have a big expo demo that's happening on the show floor and spend all this money on backdrops and stuff like that, you can roll those dollars into something that's a little bit new and different. So I I think there's a lot of really great opportunities that are coming up and who knows what it'll look like 12 months from now. That conversation gives me a little bit of anxiety because literally a few (laughs) minutes before I got on this conversation, I I received an email. I didn't get into it, but it was all talking about uh, fiscal year 2022 budget preparations. And I'm like, ah, Um, but yeah, it, um, I think it, you're bringing it back to content, at least for me, it was very early March of uh, 2020. I was set to fly out the, I was a Friday. I was set to fly out on Monday to the biggest healthcare IT conference. Found out before that weekend even started that it was canceled. And within the next couple of weeks, we were tasked with completely redoing our plans and our budgets for the year because we we knew that that change was coming. And for me, I invested reinvested all of those dollars into content campaigns and 
as Aaron said, like, who knows what's going to happen going forward and, and where we're going to settle um, once we get to a point where we can settle. But it just shows that content's going to continue to be as important forever, not just for ABM campaigns, but for marketing in general. And, you know, one of the in-person tactics that that we rely on from an ABM perspective is um, we do executive briefings where we bring in our executive team to our headquarters and the important influencers and decision makers on accounts. I participated in the very first and the very last one <laughs> of 2021 <laughs> a couple months ago. And I think the other thing to consider is we've kind of alluded to it, but yes, we've gotten comfortable in these environments, but we've definitely seen virtual conferences, the attendance sort of lost off of those. I think people's attention spans in general are getting pretty short. So we just have to continue to make sure that the content we're providing is really adding value and is bringing them in um, to the environments that they want to be in. Any last thoughts for marketers as they build out their content for their ABM campaigns? Aaron? Yeah, I, I think that it comes back to that you're going to have to make an investment in gathering and gating this information together. None of this comes easily because there are so many disparate places that you can get the information. And there are also a lot of different places that folks can go for this information that's beyond just you. So making the investment in understanding the thoughts and direction of the customers that you're trying to target and making sure you have a clear understanding before you leap into the next step is going to be even more important than it was. I mean, that's always been what I've touted is that you definitely need to know what you should do before you do it. But I think it's even more so in that there are so many different channels and so many different ways that everybody's getting hit right now in different directions. The more relevant that you can be, the more directive you can be in not only what you're delivering, but how you're saying it and how you're delivering it is going to be essential. So knowing that those individuals like to read certain things, they're seeking this kind of information, they're more likely to watch than read. Those sorts of bits of information are going to be increasingly crucial as you're trying to deliver. Everybody's going to be delivering content. So you got to make sure that your content stands out but doesn't stand out in a way that is glitzy and glamorous, but stands out in a way that it maximizes the connection to the individual and makes the best use of their time. Because that's what you're really asking from them is you're asking from them to spend a little bit of their time capital in engagements with you well before you're asking them to spend their dollars with you. So, and sometimes that time is even more valuable than the dollars. So you got to figure out how do you maximize what they get out of that? And knowing a little bit ahead of time is the best way to do it. Courtney? I mean, I work for a data company, so it is all about the data for me. Um, and quite frankly, I, I think that it's a very useful tool for marketers because it makes it easier to make your decisions, it makes it easier for you to justify your decisions, and it makes you easier it easier for you to communicate about those to the sales organization. That's not saying that marketing or account-based marketing is a science, um, but if particular things are working or messages are resonating, then the data is going to indicate that for the most part. 
That being said, the data doesn't always tell the whole story. Don't, hopefully no one from Click is listening <laughs> to this. But, you know, sometimes we know anecdotally that someone told us that they really liked a white paper that they read. And then, of course, you know, as Aaron was alluding to, the industry trends are more important now than ever because we are navigating new territories. And I think it's uh, important to see what, what your campaigns are producing, to use that data, to go into these campaigns leveraged with uh, industry trends and data. Um, but also, yeah, be creative, have fun. Um, we're in unprecedented territory. Let's see what 2022 has to offer and what we can make of it. I've been talking with Courtney Hastings of Click and Aaron Heffern of Market Connections. Thank you both so much for being part of this discussion. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. And thank you for joining us. Lay of the Brand is brought to you by Merit Group, an integrated strategic communications firm that blends the best of PR, marketing, and creative to help our clients tell their stories and build business. Got a topic suggestion or want to share feedback? Subscribe to Lay of the Brand on your preferred listening platform and leave us a review. And please spread the word and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in as well. To learn more about Merit Group and the show, check out layofthebrand.com.